Acts chapter 7, verse 54, to Acts chapter 8, verse 8. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when, he, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over them. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. All right, well, as Steve mentioned at the beginning of the service, if you tune in a little bit late, we are doing a little bit of a different service today. It's a dry run. It's a, it's a dress rehearsal in anticipation of next week and inviting people in to join us for our live gathering. So we got some guinea pigs here with us today, and I am so grateful for each of you uh, for coming out. So we got all kinds of things to figure out. We, are, we got technical difficulties. We got all kinds of little details. So thanks for being patient with us as we are again reinventing almost everything uh, in order to make this happen happen well for over the next year. Hopefully we don't have to reinvent things again. We're trying to do this really with the end goal in mind, but lots of work to be done. Of course, during normal times, this would be our kickoff Sunday. Uh, usually this is one of my most exciting Sundays of the entire year. I'm always excited about it, but as we know, we're not in normal times. This is very different and a very unique time. And so this morning, what I want to talk to you about as a church is what we're going to be doing over this next year, what are our plans specifically for gathering and how we're moving forward, and then priorities as well that you will have to think about for your life as you consider this next year and living under our current conditions. Now to do this, I want to give us all a metaphor, uh, a metaphor to think through how COVID has disrupted our normal lives. Uh, that's kind of the big metaphor I want to work with. And then what I want to do is go through a walk through the book of Acts, just a quick scan, tracking how the early church moved and a massive disruption that came into the life of the early church. So here's the metaphor. The metaphor is being forced to stay in a local hotel. A local hotel, you're not in a hotel because you're in Hawaii or you're in Mexico, 
You were on vacation for a little while, and when you came home after a few weeks, you discovered that your entire house has been flooded. From the top floors, it come down through the bottom floors, and mold has begun to grow everywhere. And so you got home, and you were forced to immediately evacuate your house. You had to get out, and you had to move into a local hotel. Depending on your socioeconomic level, you can decide which hotel. If it's the Empress, or if it's the Zed, or I don't know, you get to choose depending on what you could afford or what your insurance company is going to pay for you. So here you are, you're living in this hotel. Of course, you're going to assume that this is a temporary condition. And in the same way, we have now experienced COVID like this. Our entire normal lives have been completely disrupted. It was very fast, and we had to leave our old normal, and we had to move into what I'm going to call today... COVID hotel. We didn't think this was going to take very long that we'd have to be inside a COVID hotel, but it's lasting a lot longer than we thought. So that's the metaphor. I want us to think about COVID and what it's like to live under COVID as moving into a local hotel. And now I want to expand on that metaphor. I want to talk about three things that we as a church need to think about as we move forward over this next year. And then I'm going to show you those three things also in the book of Acts. All right? So three things under the metaphor with the book of Acts. Here's the first thing we all need to hear as a culture and as a church, and it's this. We're not going home anytime soon. This is the sad news. We are not going back home anytime soon. So to expand on the metaphor, imagine if you had to go live in a hotel for a little while. You, you know there's always dressers, there's closets, and I know there's a few of you out there. I don't know if it's you guys or not, but you're, are you the kind of person who would just, if you were there a couple days, you would live out of your suitcase, or would you unpack everything, fill the closets, open the drawers? There's a few odd people that do that, but let's just be honest. Most of us, if it was a very temporary situation, uh, we would just live out of the suitcase for a short time, and then we would be anticipating moving back home. This is the situation I think we find ourselves when, in within COVID. Remember when it started, I, we all thought, probably I'll get my summer holidays in. I mean, our family planned to go to California, uh, down to San Diego. We had a place booked and everything. We thought, there's a good chance this will be over by July. Duh. Not the case at all. Uh, of course, what we're learning now is that we are all going to be staying in Hotel COVID a whole lot longer than we thought. Uh, I really hope it's not like Hotel California where you check in and you can never leave. Um, but actually, that might even be the case too. Apparently, this may be part of our life moving into the future. Here's the point though. We all have to come to grips with the fact that we are not going back home anytime soon. So before I look at Acts, I want to just talk about a few key issues that means for us as a church moving forward. First, since we're not going back home anytime soon, we must plan and strategize accordingly. We can't just wait for this to be over. We got to plan and strategize accordingly. Secondly, since we're not going back home anytime soon, we must work within the limit of 50. Again, I was even hoping in June and even early July that phase three, uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry would allow us to meet in maybe up to 100, maybe to 150, uh, but that, of course, is not what happened. We are now limited to the number of 50. Now, I know there are some of you who think we should defy the government and we should meet uh, and, and that we should, yeah, we should basically go against the governing authorities and we should even take the fines that would come with this. This is not the approach I think that we want to take here at Central. 
Interestingly, when you read about the scriptures where it says, submit to the governing authorities, do you know where we find that? That's in Romans chapter 13. Do you know who was the rumor, the Roman emperor at that time when Paul wrote to the Roman Christians? His name was Nero. If you don't know that name, just put him on the same level as all the Hitlers and Stalins of the world. Paul wrote to the church in Rome saying that as Christians, we may not like what the government does, we may not like the decisions that they make, but we are called to honor God and to submit to our governing authorities, whether we like it or not. And I'm sure if you lived in Rome, I have no doubt that under Nero, there was tons of things that Christians said, this is unfair, this is not right, we don't like this, you're trampling on our rights, and yet Paul says still we submit to the governing authorities. In the same way right now, there are many things we don't like. I mean, just purely from a like-dislike standpoint, I don't like that I have to be speaking to a camera. I don't like that we are in this situation. Many people point out that there's tremendous inconsistency in the way the government applies these things, where protests of thousands of people can gather, and yet churches cannot gather. Agreed. Let's just agree on all of those things. However, the only time when we are not to submit to the government is when the government calls us to disobey Christ. So here's the question, are we called right now? Is the government forcing us to disobey Christ? Is there any command in Scripture that says we must gather at Pandora Avenue with 500 people every single Sunday? No, there's no command that says that. The government, if the government said we are not allowing Christians ever to gather, that would be a problem. But we can find other ways. We don't have to gather with 500 on Sunday, on Sunday mornings. We don't like that we can't do it, but we don't have to do it. The government is not commanding us to go against Christ on this. And so we may not like it. We may even think that the government is inconsistent in the way it applies its rules. But here is how Central is going to approach this. We will submit to the governing authorities out of reverence for God and then also to honor our governing authorities, as we believe this is an important part of our witness as Christians to our larger society. Here's the third thing I think we need to ponder before we look at the book of Acts. Since we're not going home anytime soon, we also must work within the wide-ranging views of our people. So we send out a survey, all kinds of opinions came back. And let me just tell you, you people have a lot of opinions. It's all the way from this side, all the way to the other side, lots of people in the middle, and I'm not here to debate any of your opinions at all. Some people, like I said, think we should defy the government and reopen and should have done so three months ago. Other people say, you are very unwise and not loving your neighbor to even consider reopening. And then a big chunk that are in the middle. So what should we do? What would you do if you were in the leadership of the church? We're going to try and work with it the very best that we can. We're not here to argue over these kind of things or to debate. I'm here to say we try to work with this very unique and challenging situation. Let's all recognize that. It's very unique. It's very challenging. Let's be patient with one another. And let's make plans that can hopefully work for everybody. Here's the last thing I want to say to us. Since we're not going home anytime soon, we must beware of a danger we all face. A danger every single one of us face. Right now, there are two forces that are coming together, which quite frankly cause me a great deal of pastoral anxiety, if I could put it that way. I fear for the souls of many of you is why, what I'm trying to say. 
These two forces are first the radical individualism of our culture. If you've been raised in the West, it's part of you. The radical individualism of our culture mixed with the restrictions of COVID, which forces us to isolate from one another. When these two things converge, they pull us apart. And as we know, and as we said so many times here, according to the New Testament, a major key to the way that we grow as Christians is we need each other. We need to encourage one another, exhort one another. We need to be together. Our faith is like a coal that's in a fire. It needs to remain with other coals in order to stay warm and to grow. And so one of my great fears during COVID is that we create habits of isolation and that that isolation then causes our faith to grow cold. Each one of us has to beware of this danger is a very real danger. We need one another and we may need to find different and unique ways to enjoy fellowship with one another, but we must find those ways and avoid this danger that comes to all of us during this season. So that's the metaphor. COVID has caused a major disruption in our lives. We thought this whole thing was just gonna be a short stay in COVID hotel, uh, but now of course we're realizing we're not going back home anytime soon. Now, here's the most encouraging thing. This is not something new in the history of the Christian church where Christians have struggled with this kind of disruption. Let's think for a moment about a major disruption in the life of the early church. And what I want to do is a quick walk through the first half of the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has risen from the dead. He meets with his disciples and he gives them some commands. And here's a command that he gives in Acts 1 and verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, that's the province, the surrounding, it would be like going from Victoria to British Columbia. And Samaria, Samaria would be like going, it's crossing cultural and ethnic boundaries. I'm not sure the U.S. would be a good example, but maybe go to Mexico, for instance. You're speaking a different language, different cultures and customs. And then the farthest concentric circle, Jesus says, to the end of the earth. Acts chapter 2, that promise was fulfilled. The Holy Spirit was given, and, and on the day of Pentecost, during the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out. Peter stands up before all the crowds, and he preaches a sermon. And man, this is every preacher's dream. You know what kind of results he gets from this? 3,000 people that day give their lives to Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit. Not Peter, the power of the Spirit. And so suddenly, this little small group of 120 disciples becomes an instant megachurch. Instant megachurch, 3,000 people. And we read that these early believers greatly valued fellowship with one another. They pursued it. Look at Acts chapter 2 and what we read at the end of that chapter. Next slide, please. All right, I will read it for you. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So, just like our pre-COVID days, 
If you read Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 6, there's many similarities. They got some really great stuff going on that we haven't even seen in our day. But there's a lot of similarities. Just like our pre-COVID days, they had large gatherings. We read that they gathered at the temple. We also read that just like our pre-COVID days, they met in what would be home groups, small groups, like our community groups in many ways. They met in their homes. And they were even doing this day by day. In Acts chapters 4 to 6, we read that just like our pre-COVID days, they spent time praying together, they cared for one another, they had to deal with sin in their midst, some very difficult situations they had to face, and they had to do things like governance. They had problems, organizational issues, and so they had to create this position called a deacon to support uh, the, the pastors and elders who were preaching the word, the apostles, and giving clear job descriptions and divisions of duty. Then, one day everything was disrupted. Their numbers had been 3,000. They even went up to 5,000, we read. And in one day, literally overnight, everything got flipped on its head. It was not just a minor disruption. It was a major disruption. In their case, it was not a virus. It was persecution. So when you get to Acts chapter 7, as we read toward the end there, Stephen, one of the new deacons in the church, gets dragged out of the city, and he is stoned to death. This single event changes absolutely everything overnight, just like that single event where the coronavirus passed from an animal to a human in Wuhan, China. That single event changed our entire globe overnight. This single event in Acts chapter 7 changed everything about the megachurch that was enjoying life together in Jerusalem. And so Acts 8 marks a turning point. And here's how Acts 8 begins with these words. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So on one Sunday, you've got 5,000 people. I don't know if they all gathered at once, if they had many services. We have no idea. But there's 5,000 people, it says, just before this, gathered for worship. The next Sunday, you've got the apostles. And if you read on, it seems like there's a few others there as well. On Sunday, March 8th, we had over 500 people gathered in this room for worship. And the next Sunday, March 15th, it was me and a few of our tech team trying to figure out how to do a live stream. All overnight, everything suddenly happened. And this persecution in the book of Acts, it doesn't last forever. It's temporary, but it does change everything. And while COVID is a temporary thing, it has absolutely changed everything. So that's the first thing I think we need to hear as a church, as we move forward into this next year, as we think about our priorities, that COVID has disrupted everything and we must come to grips with the fact that we are not going back home anytime soon. In light of that, here's the second thing we need to say. Unpack your bags. Sticking with the metaphor. Unpack your bags. Now again, Hotels have all these closets and dressers, and you know, if you're only there a few nights, most of us, the normal people, just throw that out there. We, we just work out of a suitcase for a couple nights. But again, like I said, if you are going to have to, if you suddenly were told, this is not just going to be a week or two weeks, you, your insurance company says you're going to have to stay out of your house for the entire next year. If you were told that, you would literally unpack your bags, and you would figuratively 
In the sense, what I mean by that is, you would have to rethink your entire life and how you're now going to live out of this new environment. You'd have to rethink, if you've got kids, you have to sit the kids down, you have to say, look, we've had a lot of fun this first few weeks at the hotel, but now there's going to have to be some rules. Now we're going to have to figure some things out. We've got to figure out how we're going to do absolutely everything. In the same way, the early church adjusted to this major disruption in our lives, in their lives. Uh, they didn't just say, okay, let's just put everything on pause for a little bit. Let's ride this out. We'll, we'll just wait for life to go back to normal. We'll enjoy our mega church in Jerusalem again. That's not how they approached it. They also did not just respond by retreating into their own personal walks with God and just said, you know, we don't ever need each other anymore because, you know, I got, I got my little scroll of the Bible here and I can just worship God all by myself forever and ever. That's not how they responded either. No, they changed things, but they still had a great value on fellowship with one another. So Acts 8 describes how those who are scattered, it goes on in verse 4 to say this of them. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So they were facing persecution and yet they go about preaching the word. Now we don't see any more examples through the book of Acts of a group of 5,000. There are no numbers like that. We don't see these mass gatherings anymore, whatever that looked like for their time. Everything changes, but what we start to discover is there's this new kind of smaller organic movement. So People become Christians. They start to gather in one another's homes. It's very organic at the beginning, but then later as you, as you track it through the New Testament, Paul will say to Timothy, you need to go and you need to appoint elders in all of these churches because you can't. things are starting to go a little wild in some of these little home gatherings. And so now they're having elders who are providing pastoral support, helping to deal with the issues. So this kind of organic thing begins to become a little more structured like you might think of it today. Many examples come up of this, meeting in houses. Look at Acts 12.12, 12, for instance. It says in Acts 12.12 12, uh, that they were meeting at Mary's house. Then in Acts chapter 16, we have this amazing example of Lydia. Lydia was a wealthy businesswoman, must have had a quite a large house. By the end of Acts ch chapter 16, Lydia is so excited about the gospel, she wants to use her house as a ministry center. And so we read that this new church in Philippi is all meeting in Lydia's house. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is in the city of Ephesus, and as he's leaving, he says he taught them in public and from house to house. In Romans 16 verse 5, in 1 Corinthians 16 19, the church is meeting in Prisca and Aquila's house. In Colossians 4 15, they are meeting at Nympha's house. In Philemon 1 verse 2, they're meeting at Philemon's house. So what we see through the early church is that though they were originally meeting in large groups, when they were not able to, they just went a whole lot smaller. They didn't just quit worshiping entirely. No, they adjusted to their new normal. They unpacked their bags and they simply went smaller and they met house to house. And this organic thing eventually begins to grow. So what can this look like for us as we begin to move forward over this next year? What does it look like to unpack our bags, if you do, if you will? We're going to want to provide three options for you, uh, three ways we want to serve you and help you to continue to grow in your faith during this unique and challenging time. Here is option number one. We're simply going to call them family gatherings. So what is a family gathering? A family gathering is... A gathering of your, of your family at home to participate in the live stream worship service on Sundays. Who is it for? 
It's for anyone who is not able to join with others. And of course, there could be many reasons why you're not able to join with other people. Maybe you have respiratory issues, maybe you have some high-risk people in your bubble, or maybe you're a frontline worker, you need to keep your bubble really small. Uh, You may just not be comfortable yet, still trying to work out all the implications of what this virus means. But I want to speak some words to those of you who are going to choose this option. Because again, this, this option is not ideal. It's, we're in a unique and a challenging moment, and this is it's maybe going to work for a while, but this is, a, this is the one that can create some great dangers for you. The great danger, of course, is if it's just you and your family, you start to create habits where now, well, it's just easier for us to do this, and when COVID is over, you think, oh, I'm just going to keep doing this. I don't really need other Christians. I can just watch live streams online. May I encourage you? Each Sunday, as you're gathering, if you're forced into this option, if this is what you're going to choose, you need to have a dual feeling, a dual prayer, a a dual, I don't know, view on the whole thing. First of all, wake up on Sundays and say, thank you, Lord, that we have the technology that we can do this, that in this unique and challenging time, I can worship together, I can receive this kind of teaching from the pastors of our church, give thanks, and then always lament. Lament and say, I'm grieved that I'm unable to gather with other believers the way that we, we are want to do, uh, the way that the Bible assumes is for normal times, that's the way that it works. We're not in a normal time, but under normal circumstances, this is what we would be doing. So have that dual emphasis of thankfulness and lamenting, not allowing it to become a habit for you. And then maybe you need to pursue Christian fellowship in other ways too, maybe through phone calls with other believers in the church, Zoom calls, whatever, socially distanced visits, those kind of things. So this is the first option. We want to serve you in this way. We want to make sure that you are receiving the support that you need. And Lord willing, this will be one that that's going to carry us for a little while. But I want to address an objection here because I'm a little concerned with some of the unity in our church over this as well. Um, because I hear people sometimes saying, well, if anyone chooses this option, they're actually disobeying God uh, because they're going against Hebrews 10.25, which says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Let me say this, that Hebrews 10.25 in context, that is a misapplication of that verse. What's going on in the book of Hebrews is that believers are drifting away from God, their hearts are becoming hard, and they don't go to public worship because they don't care. That's the issue. Their hearts aren't in it, they don't care. But listen, that is very different from the situation so many of you find yourselves in. It's very different from wanting to gather for public worship, but being unable to because of a unique and challenging situation that we find ourselves in. So this first option, again, I want to say, it's not ideal. It's not what we want at all, but I don't think we should be making people feel guilty if this is the option that they have to take because uh, they've got some respiratory issues, because they're high risk, because these other kind of things are going on. So nobody should be made to feel guilty in our church because this is the option you choose. And at the same time, I'm saying to you, if you choose this option, be very careful of it because it creates habits in the heart that are self-isolating and you need other believers. So I hope I've covered that well. I hope I... I'm just defending everybody this morning. I hope I'm not, but, uh, <laughs> and if, hey, if you are gathering just for yourself and your family, make it a true time of worship. Don't make it like watching TV. Make it you sit down, you pray before, God, please speak to us this morning. Get out your Bibles, follow along. Pray as you're going through the service. Afterwards, just debrief, discuss with each other. Say things like, hey, what did God speak to you about this morning? That's where the fellowship comes in, right? 
So let's do your best on that. That's option one. Here's option two. We're going to call them home gatherings. Home gatherings. What are home gatherings? Home gatherings are you and a small group of others who meet in someone's home on Sunday to worship and fellowship together through the live stream service. Who are home gatherings for? Anyone who is able and comfortable to meet in a smaller group setting. So here's the big question. How big can the group be gathering in someone's house? That depends. According to Dr. Bonnie Henry's rules, if the people are in your bubble, you can meet with as many people as are in your bubble. You're not supposed to let your bubble get too large, but if they're in your bubble, you can hug them, you can handshake them, and hey, you can even restart the whole holy kiss thing if you really feel inclined to do so. So if they're in your bubble, meet away. If they're not in your bubble, then her current rule is it's your household plus five other individuals meeting in a socially distanced manner. So we want to help you with this. We want to support this. Just like the early church, you have pastors, you have elders helping you. We want to help you with this. And so here's a few ways. Number one, we've made up some booklets for those of you who may want to host a home gathering on how to do this, how to set up your space, how to think it all through. We've also made up booklets on how to host a home church. We as your pastoral staff want to support you. Any questions that you have, we hope to maybe even get out to visit some of you sometime if we're able, if you are going to be willing to have us come to you. Uh, We want to be able to support you as much as we possibly can as we move forward. I know many of you are already doing this. In fact, those of you who are gathering right now, look around, people you're gathering with, I know right now there are home gatherings going on and they've been going on throughout the summer. Great stuff. If you're not part of a home gathering, you can organize one yourself or if you can't do that, you can always go on our website, you can sign up, and we're going to do our best to try to figure this out. It's going to be complex, it's going to be tricky, but we'll try to get you into a home gathering moving forward. Quick questions on this. How is a home gathering different than a community group? Community groups here at Central usually meet on a day other than Sunday, uh, and usually they're not watching the live stream service. They're doing a different Bible study. They're serving in different ways. So a home gathering is specifically gathering with other believers on the Lord's Day on Sunday to participate in corporate worship. That's the distinction between a community group and a home gathering. Here's my question for you. Would you be willing to host a home gathering? We need some Lydia's. Some people would say, I want to use my house as a ministry center. Again, we're going to help you. We're going to offer the support for you. If you'd be willing to do this, again, please be in touch with us. Uh, Josh Kazakost and Lucas Goltz are going to be helping to set all of that up. You can email them. Just email any of us. We'll make sure that we figure it out. It's not complicated to set it up. You've got to just get your biggest space in your room, set up your chairs in a socially distanced manner, get your TV or computer ready, uh, things like wiping down afterwards. We will provide that support for you. So where are our Lydia's out there? It's my hope that as we move forward in COVID, as our time in COVID hotel continues, this will become one of the primary ways that we meet. We do not have to gather with 500. You can gather with 10 other believers and accomplish basically all the same things. Church has been doing it all throughout history, still doing it to this day in places like China. So if you're comfortable, if you're able, that's option number two for you is home gatherings. Here's the the final option, what we're going to simply call under 50 gatherings. What are they? Probably pretty obvious what they are. They are services of under 50 people at Central Baptist Building. Who are they for? 
They are for anyone who is able and comfortable meeting in a socially distanced, larger gathering. Now, as you know, as you've been part of Central for a while, you know that our building is a bit of a maze. It can be a little bit difficult at times. Uh, The reason for that is that our building is actually three separate buildings built at three separate times. Normally, this causes me great frustration because it's a bit of a maze and you got to figure out how to get your way around. Right now, it's the greatest thing ever because we have three separate buildings Three separate entrances and exits, and three separate restrooms. So really, three totally separate church buildings that we now can work with. So here's what you need to know if you would like to attend one of our live or one of our in-person under 50 gatherings. To start off with, first of all, we're going to have two gathering spaces. We'll start off with two. Gathering one is here in the main auditorium, and gathering two will be in the fellowship hall. This main auditorium can fit up to 50 people because it's rather large. The fellowship hall can only seat about 25 to 30 because chairs have to be set up in a socially distanced manner. So if a lot of you want to attend uh, here on the under 50 gatherings, we can open up other spaces. But to start, two spaces. Here's the next thing. You will need to pre-register at our website to attend. If you don't use a computer, if that whole idea of website doesn't work for you, phone the church Tina will take care of you, all right? Here's the next one. You will receive an email later in the week letting you know which gathering space you have been randomly assigned to. Here in the main auditorium, it's going to be a live service, so live preaching, live music. In the fellowship hall, it's going to be on the screen. Now, some of you have said, and I was with this early on, some of you said, why would I want to drive to the church to sit in the fellowship hall to watch a screen when I could do the same thing at home. I thought the same way too, until I attended Bob Arnett's memorial service. It was set up, the building we were in was set up just like we have it here at this moment with chairs set up all over the place. But you know what? I was amazed by the amount of interaction I got to have. I mean, you come early, that's the key. Uh, I sat down and I got to talk to all the people six feet away from me here, six feet away from me here, six feet away from me here, connected with all those people, then waving at the people across the room. Hey, how's it going? Hey, hey. Uh, That's what we did this morning. Alice Sims is here, so I waved her across the room, congratulated her on her anniversary. I haven't even got to see her yet today, but still, there's just that little bit of a connection going there. It's the same thing. I'm telling you, it's a lot better than you actually think. So don't be afraid of coming, and if you get put in gathering two, and you are in the fellowship hall, enjoy your time with each other. And then the next week, we'll try to make sure that you're in this one. If you go two weeks in there, don't worry, we'll figure it out. Uh, We'll make sure that we rotate in order to make sure that you are uh, moving between gathering one and gathering two, and it all evens out. Here's the next thing to know. Arrive early to check in with the host at the door. Arrive early. This is key because there's a little bit of a check-in procedure. Let me show you a map of our building, our building kind of layout, I mean. Uh, here's Pandora Avenue down here. If you, are going, if you get an email that says you're part of Gathering 1, you can park in the parkade. You will come up the elevator. You'll come outside, and then you're going to enter in what are normally the exit doors at the very front of the auditorium. You'll come into the main auditorium, and you can use the normal restrooms that are out here. 
Our normal main doors here are going to be completely shut, so there's no interaction between the two gatherings, or else they're not two gatherings. It's only one, right? If you're part of gathering number two, you cannot park in the parkade because we cannot have the gatherings overlapping with each other, the people seeing each other. So you can park on the street. You can park at the Johnson Street Parkade. Hundreds of parking spots. You'll be fine. You come in our main entrance doors. You get the whole foyer. Yay, for gathering two people. You go through the lobby. You enter into the fellowship hall, and then your restrooms are the ones that are located in behind the kitchen. So these are the two main gathering space. We do have other gathering spaces that we can open in the future should we need that. You're also going to be having ushers who are going to help you with all of these, anything, interactions, any questions that you have. We will be singing. We'll be singing with masks on, but we will be singing. So you have to wear a mask when you show up to the building. Once you sit down, you can take the mask off and you can talk to people who are six feet away from you. When we sing, we put our mask back on. So this morning, that's what I was doing. I'm going to be honest with you. It's not that bad, honestly. We all just need to relax. People are so up in arms about having to wear a mask. Honestly, is it that big of a deal? This is not asking a lot. We can all just wear a mask. It's not the end of the world. I still enjoyed singing this morning. Yeah, of course, I don't want to wear a mask, but I brushed my teeth today. It didn't smell too bad, and I enjoyed singing to the Lord this morning. Here's the one more thing to say. Two more things. Number five, you've got to maintain social distance. Realize this is not a normal service. You've got to be able to make sure you follow these things. You have an assigned seat. You'll be given your seat. Don't walk up to people and start chatting with them. Just talk to them from your seat. You're just, they're only six feet away probably from you anyways. Ushers are there to help you with any questions you have. Here's the final thing to say about the under 50 gathering. Rejoice that we can meet and be patient with the fact that it's not ideal. All right, that's the, we need both of that from you. There's gonna be all kinds of issues that come up. This is not normal church. And I'm just gonna tell you, this is the first time I've ever done this. No one in seminary, I didn't take a class in my doctorate that said, this is how you lead a church during COVID. There's never been a class. I have no idea what I'm doing and neither does anybody else. So we're all gonna figure this out together, all right? So be patient with us. Be patient with any little issues that arise for you, especially in the first few weeks if you come to one of the under 50 gatherings. We'll take your feedback and hopefully we'll get better as we go. So there's the first two things that I think we as a church need to hear right now. First of all, we're not going back home anytime soon. And secondly, let's unpack our bags, let's plan and strategize, and let's move forward, at least with these three options at the moment. Now, let me wrap it up. A much shorter point now, and this is some good stuff. Here's the final thing I think we need to hear. Trust God's plans for our time in COVID hotel. Let's trust God's plans. Go back to the early church now. Imagine you're in that church in Jerusalem. You got 5,000 people. I mean, the apostles themselves are your pastors. This, everything about this is great. This is the place to be. And then everything falls apart. Literally everything falls apart. The mega church was scattered. But listen, this side of history, do you know how important that single moment was? Remember, Jesus had commanded his disciples to go from Jerusalem out to Judea, out to Samaria, out to the ends of the earth, but it seems like they were content, and you can see why, to stay in Jerusalem. I mean, we've got Peter as one of our pastors here. We've got John as one of our pastors here. This is a good deal. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is around. I mean, wow. And then everything just gets blown up. 
It seems like they were content to stay in Jerusalem, but one of God's great sovereign providential plans was that this persecution would move them out of Jerusalem. This disruption would move them out of Jerusalem. And so did did you catch these little phrases? Let's reread Acts 8 verse 1 again. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, and Samaria. The gospel, the good news of Christ, is now going out as Jesus intends it. And if you keep reading in the book of Acts, what do you find? Right away, a man named Philip preaches the good news in Samaria, which again, I think our only real equivalent would be like going to Mexico. He's preaching to people with different ethnicity, different background, different languages even, totally different cultural customs. He's preaching and an Ethiopian man gets saved there. And then by the end of chapter 9, listen to what we read. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. There's now a church in Samaria. There's a church all through Judea. This church had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Amazing. And this this good news of Christ then continues to expand. It keeps going. Uh, if you keep reading in the book of Acts, it goes into what we now call modern-day Europe. It goes to Greece. It goes to Italy. By the end of the book of Acts, it's well-established in Rome, and Paul is wanting to go on to Spain. So let me bring this home for you right now. If you're not a Jewish person, which the vast majority of you are not, it means that you are by definition a Gentile, right? That's what we are. We're Gentiles. Listen carefully. The only reason, historically speaking, why you as a Gentile are a Christian and the only reason why there is a church in the city of Victoria in Canada at the ends of the earth is because Acts 8 verse 1 happened. Because there was a great disruption in the life of the early church. Now, could God have done it other ways? I'm sure he could have, but that's not what happened. What happened historically is the church is there, it goes out, and if you know your history, it goes to Europe and a little bit towards Asia at the beginning, and from Europe, it goes to South America, it goes to North America, it goes to Australia. Imagine being in that early church when you're fleeing for your life from the city of Jerusalem, you're thinking, our whole entire church has collapsed, everything's gone wrong, this is terrible, I can't stand all that's happening. Little did you know that those very actions would result in a church in some place called Victoria at the literally the ends of the earth compared to Jerusalem. We are here because of a massive disruption that happened in Acts 8 verse 1. So when it looks like everything's falling apart, we as believers need to trust that God has higher purposes. God has his plans. What are God's plans for COVID? I have no idea. (laughs) No clue. But we got to trust that God is doing something and he is going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But here's something I do know. I greatly desire that at the end of COVID, we will come out of this stronger. That I know COVID brings up all kinds of issues, like marriages. It brings up issues, but I'm praying couples would work through those issues, come out of COVID stronger in their marriages. 
That families that are together a lot now, maybe there's extra conflict even in that, working out their issues, growing in their love for other, and, and then at the end of COVID, families are stronger. And one of my great desires is that somehow COVID will also destroy some of that radical individualism that seems like we're all going the wrong direction. But I don't know about you, just even this last week, so we had, tra- we had a training night here on Thursday night, about 25 came out to prepare for you for the under 50 gatherings. And I, I just, it's like I'd forgotten how glorious it was to be with central people and to be gathered together. And we were just doing training. We weren't even having a worship service. And my heart was just all so filled up. And I thought, I value community more than I did before. This is driving this all home to me, that I need other people and I enjoy being together and worshiping together with other believers. And I'm praying that by the end of COVID, we will maybe for our whole lives, this will rid us of some of that radical individualism and say, oh, that was a tough time. I lamented not having the community I wanted, but now I have such a heart for the church, such commitment, such love for one another. I pray God does that. And then I'm also praying that by the end of this, we would come out more united. Again, it doesn't always look like that. I know there are many different opinions on everything. And I'll just be honest, I'm sure the things I've said this morning, some of you are in disagreement I have no doubt that I've done that. Just put yourselves in the shoes of any leadership position right now. What would you be doing if you were Bonnie Henry? What would you do if you were in the leadership position? Everything we're doing, we're doing our best, but it's going to cause disagreements everywhere. Here's my plea for us as a church. You may disagree, but we often talk about making sure the gospel is the main thing. (laughs) Now's the time to put that into practice. So when we're done here, By all means, debrief everything that we've talked about this morning. But my encouragement to you, spend 90% of the time talking about things you're excited about, our common faith, great things that God is doing. Spend 10% of the time talking about the things you disagree with. Rather than flipping it and saying, oh, this, I don't like that Central's doing this. I disagree with this. All that's going to do is sow seeds of disunity amongst us and friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. If there was ever a time when we as the body of Christ need to come together to remember that we are brothers and sisters above all, that we are one body above all, that Jesus Christ is Lord above all, this is that time. This is not the time to be at each other with differing opinions on this topic or that topic, whether you think masks are the government's persecution against Christians or not, whatever the issues are, let's, let's talk about them, but let's make our central heart be the gospel of Jesus Christ and the unity that we have in him. So in a moment, we're going to sing an old hymn. Maybe these words have just become words you've sung many times. It's the hymn, Be Thou My Vision. But let's sing it with new hearts today. We need God to be our vision, to lead us forward. Do you know that hymn was written by a man who lost his, uh, lost his sight in middle age? He became blind. Those words are also from the 6th century. We're singing words that are 1,500 years old. And imagine a blind man saying, be thou my vision. That's the place we're at right now. God, lead us forward. Jesus, build your church. Lead us forward. you got to be our vision. And Jesus, we, we, we just give you our lives as he ends with. Everything I have is yours. You're my treasure above all else. So lead us on toward our final destination. Let's pray together. Father, these are very tricky days that we are in. And we need your wisdom. Father, I confess I need your wisdom. Our leadership needs your wisdom. 
We want to make good decisions, wise decisions, decisions that honor you and that build up the body of Christ and see your name be a, a good, uh, held up amongst the world. So would you enable us to do that? Father, help us to not be complainers. Let us rid ourselves of all bitterness and complaining, not letting these things take root among us. Let us be people that are always rejoicing today because this is the day of the Lord. Let us rejoice, O Father. Enable us to be people who truly keep the gospel center. People who rejoice in our coming hope, rejoice in our present hope, People rejoice in all that you have done and will do for us through Jesus Christ. So lead us on, we pray. And help us, Father, to come out the other side stronger. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.